Yeah, but the question is, more, how do you get there? Do you get there by confrontation, violence? Oh, is that the question you were asking? Yeah. See, that's, I mean, that's another thing. When you talk about a revolution, most people think violence um, without realizing that the real content of any kind of revolutionary thrust lies in the, in, in the principles and the goals that you're striving for, not in the way you reach them. On the other hand, uh, because of the way this society is organized, because of the violence that exists on the surface everywhere, you have to expect that there are going to be such explosions. You have to expect things like that as reactions. If you are a black person and live in, 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 in the black community all your life and walk out on the street every day seeing white policemen surrounding you, I. When I was living in Los Angeles, for instance, long before the situation in L.A. ever occurred, uh, I was constantly stopped. No, the, the police didn't know who I, who I was, but I was a black woman. And I had a, had a natural, and, and they, I suppose, thought that I might be a, quote, militant. And when you live under a situation like that constantly, um, uh, and, then, and then you ask me, you know, whether I approve of violence. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, whether I approve of guns, I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, some very, very good friends of mine were killed by bombs, bombs that were planted by racists. Uh, I remember from, from the time I was very small, I remember the sounds of bombs exploding across the street, our house shaking. I remember my father having to have guns at his disposal at all times because of the fact that at any moment uh, uh, someone we might expect to be attacked. The man who was at that time in con complete control of the city government, his name was Bull Connor, uh, would often get on the radio and make statements like, uh, 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 niggas have moved into a white neighborhood, uh, we better expect some bloodshed tonight. And sure enough, there would be bloodshed. Uh, after the four young girls who were, who lived very, who lived, one of them lived uh, next door to me. Um, I was very good friends with the sister of, of another one. My, my sister was very good friends with all three of them. My mother taught one of them in her class. My mother, in fact, when the bombing occurred, one of the mothers of uh, one of the young girls called my mother and said, uh, can you take me down to the church to pick up uh, Carol? I, you know, we heard about the bombing and I, and I don't have my car. And they went down and what did they find? They found limbs and heads strewn all over the place. And then after that, uh, in my neighborhood, all of the men organized themselves into an armed patrol. They had to take their guns and patrol our community every night because they did not want that to happen again. I mean, that's why when someone asks me about violence, uh, uh, I, just, uh, I just find it incredible. It, because it, what it means is that the person who's asking that question has absolutely no idea what black people have gone through, what black people have experienced in this country since the time the first black person was kidnapped from the shores of Africa. Jesus uttered these words 2,000 years ago. How are they going to beat ISIS? I don't think it's going to happen. But, but he has these bizarre ideas about what Christianity stands for and what it means. Atomic bombs and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And when he does, you will no longer 
control. And that's what it means to be white. To say that you're standing on your own ground and standing on somebody else's and then mystify the whole process. This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. We won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. Woo-wee, y'all. How y'all doing out there? Podcast land, Profane Faith fam. My goodness, the powerful words of Angela Davis. Um, if you've never heard her speak, um, you know, she's got all kind of stuff on YouTube. Um, I'll put that particular clip in the show notes. Um, but uh, man, powerful stuff. This is a legend um, who's still living among us, right? Uh, one of the few left of that era, of that moment, of that time. Um, and, uh, and and I say that literally, one of the few left. Most of those people are dead, uh, locked away long in a federal prison or sent away out into exile. Um, and so Angela Davis, uh, in all her brilliance, was able to win uh, her case uh, against her. Uh, she was charged. Oh man, I'm forgetting what it was, but it was she was going to be locked away, just it, like just like one of those, one of the other folks, right? You know, or or or, or killed, right, in prison. I mean, this is the stuff, right? That's been happening for a long time. But she again went in uh, with afro, full nine fist rays in the air, and just tore down that the. Uh, prosecution's um, uh, case against her and it was marvelous so again I highly recommend if you haven't had a chance to to uh, hear any of her or just understand her story or and people like Asada Shakur um, there's a couple of different books out there on her I know when I taught a Black Lives Matter course uh, we read her um, her memoir and just kind of her autobiography so yeah yeah how you feeling this week y'all Man, I tell you, um, I am still processing a lot. Um, I think I'm in a decent, more better, or more better. <laughs> I'm in a better headspace, I think, just in terms of just thinking and trying to think of next steps. I'm kind of uh, blown away at the amount of commercialism that Black Lives Matter has gotten. I mean, on one end, like there's there's some, okay, that's cool. But if you study anything in media, you know that once something garners the attention of the public sphere, there is a chance for it to run away and be co-opted um, and into something that really isn't, uh, you know, anywhere near what it started out to be, right? The soul of it. And I, I have full faith that Black Lives Matter, the founders will will not allow that to happen. Um, I also know that we're at an interesting time, right? You got the, the television show Cops canceled, finally. Uh, you have people talking about, you know, uh, defunding the police um, and what that means. And it's not what you think it means. <laughs> For those of you who are still like, what does defund the police mean? Um, yeah, I, I think uh, we're, we're in an interesting time um, but I'm, I'm again, I'm wondering what is the sustainability of it? I want to see sustainability. I've been saying that for the last three, four, five weeks, <laughs> years, right? It's like, what is going to sustain a, an ongoing, an ongoing fight for justice and an ongoing fight for equity? Um, 
so that these things don't continue to happen. Um, it's very interesting, uh, just some of the arguments that are out there. Uh, and as an educator, um, I, I can't do it all the time, um, but I I will go and I will listen to some of the, uh, the the arguments on the right. And there and there is a brother by the name, he's African-American. You know, you, some of you probably know who I'm talking about. Uh, his name is Dr. John McCorder. And uh, he's written a few books, uh, but he's much along the lines of Black Lives Matter is, is while a nice hashtag employee, they don't ever address the issues of, uh, you know, black on black crime. Uh, they don't ever address the issues that, you know, uh, white officers kill white people more than they do black people. And I don't know, his his arguments are very straw hat, very, very leaning towards the right. I mean, there's some I don't even know if there's some validity to it. He sounds good saying it and it makes a lot of people on the right the white folks on the right feel great and valid validated uh because you know he's he's saying it and no one can right can come back at him and say oh but you're right races and stuff and so it's very he has an, a very interesting argument um i'm debating on whether i should put that link in the show notes i probably will because i just think it's important to to again hear some of that and to begin to kind of to, to see the logic behind that he was debating um you know about you know black lives matter and this and which is interesting they had all nothing but but all men on this panel <laughs> once the camera pans back right and it's like oh interesting so you don't even have anybody from the actual movement um it was it was him and then two of the white guys right and it's like anybody from the movement to actually come and actually have a genuine debate uh you just want to share your thoughts so it's just it's just interesting it's along the lines of I've talked about this before, uh, like with Shelby Steele, who says that black people uh, have more privilege than white people um, and that we have more access and more uh, freedoms than white people, that white people are actually discriminated against more. And this and, and Shelby Steele is African-American as well. Um, so very interesting uh, thought, thought process. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on that because, you know, it's bullshit. <laughs> And the reality of it is, is that it's so straw hat. But again, it sounds good. And like last week with my guest, uh, Dr. Andre Johnson, rhetoric matters. That embedded narrative of, right, more black people are killed by the hands of another black person than they are white police officers. So why are you making this thing up? You know, these police officers are, these are lone uh, wolves. And they, you know, they were, you know, they were the ones that, uh, they, they, they aren't the ones to blame and stuff like that. There are plenty of great police officers. And we know that that's just not the truth, right? I mean, think about this. Uh, you know, th th this cat sat on eight minutes and 46 seconds, right, on the neck of George Floyd. And the mother police officers st stood there with their hands in their goddamn pockets. Now, what the fuck is that? You telling me that these were all like, all, we just keep seeing these little things and then like, no, 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 no. And if you study the history of the police, again, policing, I'm not going to get into that. A couple weeks ago, I talked a little bit about that. And, you know, again, know your history. Um, you will know that uh, when a police officer tries to do something right, uh, you know, they are met with a severe backlash. Um, so I, it it's difficult for me to just sit there and be like, oh, yeah, it's just a handful of officers. No, 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 no. There is there is some shit that runs deep. And I think it's 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 high time we start to have those conversations and actually put shit into place. Um you know, that, uh, that makes change, you know, but, and the problem with it is, is that 
Christian theology uh, has been so wrapped up, at least for the last like 90 years, you know, with law enforcement and this notion of, you know, being a good man is, is you know, protecting your family. And, 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 you know, that's tied, of course, into law and order. And, you know, these areas here, again, they they're an ideological structure that is really distant from anything that Jesus really talked about. Um, and it, it's, it's very interesting just to see how twisted Jesus gets, uh, when, when Jesus gets into other people's hands. So anyways, I won't spend a lot of time on that. My guest this week, um, is amazing. Esperanza Jean. She's been on the show before. Um, I'll put her first show in the show in the show notes, whitehodgepodcast.com as always. Um, and you can go check that out. You can, you know, see where she came from and all that good stuff. Man, she's amazing. She's an activist. She's a writer, uh, a scholar. I'm hoping she will go on to get that PhD. Uh, I know she talked about going to Howard. So I'm, you know, if anything I can do to help that make that happen, I would definitely do that. Uh, and she's just amazing. So I called her up and I was like, we got to talk, man, because there is so much. And she's in, she's very much active in, she's out of Los Angeles and um, she's very much active in, in, and she has her hands in a lot of different areas looking at how justice, how black folk, how black bodies, you know, we navigate this white space. And so I was like, I got to get you back on the show. She agreed um, so humbly and graciously because I was like, man, can we get you on this, this next week? And she's like, yeah. So we set up a time and, um, yeah, you're about to check it out. She's she's great. And uh, she had some good thoughts on just, again, man, I'm still reeling just from the fact that, you know, you have Trump. You know, and now this week, I think you had the general, right? The, the One of the, the one of the generals, I think I'm forgetting from which branch he was, you know, he came out publicly and apologized and was like, well, I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't have done that. And I'm just like, dude, I whatever, man, like fucking do the do the right thing do the right thing like in the moment not later and be like oh i'm sorry no dude do the right thing god damn it <laughs> oh my gosh so um i th- there's there's so much going on just with that that just that picture of trump i think um the message that it sends the uh the uh the the tone of it his facial expressions the fact that he's holding up the bible i mean it it all of those things right encapsulates this white president and i say white president literally because he is really one of the first white presidents in in our lifetime and here in the modern contemporary era um and uh you know i think what i think is interesting though is that (laughs) well he says this coronavirus is you know made up and you know we should all start opening up the country he does have a clause. Did y'all catch that too? There's a clause. This came out in the New York Times, I think, two days ago, um, about how if you go to one of his rallies, right, um, and if you catch coronavirus, you have to sign something that says you're not going to sue them. <laughs> so if it wasn't real, why the hell would you even have something like that? Oh man, what a dumbass! I tell you, we're in the hands of dumbasses and racists and bigots right now, and that is very alarming and concerning. And please, I've said this over and over and over again. Don't think that. You know, if if Uncle Biden wins in November, things are going to be that much better because they're not. (laughs) They're not. If anything, it will put us into more of a position uh, for, you know, um, uprisings on the right. Um, You know, and this notion of what we, you know, calling kind of this the third wave of, you know, the second civil war stuff, man. I I mean, I hope it doesn't. But at the same time, I'm just like, man, I, I don't know what to tell you because we are we're reaching a point right where people are dug in. Um, and that's interesting, but 
we'll cover that on another podcast. This week, uh, um, Esperanza breaks some good stuff down, and uh, and and she's just amazing in, in in general. So enjoy this conversation. Stay safe, y'all. Keep the mask going. I see people out there thinking Corona's like done, right? I see niggas in restaurants and people just you know they ain't social distancing no more. I'm just like, wow, we. We must be done with Corona now. Okay, okay, all right, all right. So stay safe, y'all. Be careful and um, get pulled over by the popo. Turn them cameras on. All right, <laughs> take care, y'all. Check this conversation out. Cool. Well, um, any questions for me? Um. Well, how are you? For one. <laughs> <laughs> Like for real. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. Um, you know, I mean, I'm I'm hanging in there. I mean, creativity, you know, as an anagram four. I mean, this stuff, stuff like this, you know, gives right. me gives me life. And um, right. right, working on my yard where you can see almost instantaneous results, um, yeah. is good. Um, I haven't been in a few last few days. It's kind of been raining and storming, but we've been you know, doing like family walks and, and whatnot. So that's one good thing of the, this whole pandemic thing, like, you yeah. know, just getting out and, and walking. But, you know, I mean, I think I just feeling a, a deep sense of, uh, of loss and hurt and hopelessness. Um, I'm glad yeah. that there's all these things that are happening, but, you know, I was also part of a large movement in 92 after the uprisings. And so right. I'm, I'm, I'm holding my breath uh, mm-hmm. with some, with some hope of like, okay, that's, that's good. I'm glad, you know, I just hope that BLM and all this doesn't turn into some corporate slogan that, you know, then somehow gets co-opted. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Yeah. uh, That's another layer of the fight that we have right now. Absolutely. Is, you know, there, a lot of their tactics have changed from just blatantly um, opposing BLM to now trying to co-opt it and it's disgusting. So yeah, we have to fight that. We just do. Yeah. No, and, I, and I, and I do think the leaders of BLM are so deeply uh, rooted in the core of what they're trying to accomplish. I, I think them, them women going to get them hell. Like they're not going to let that. Happen. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, absolutely. And yeah. I, and, I, and that's, that's for me is the hope that for me is what I take yeah. hope in and that, you know, it's yeah, exactly that there's them folks who are running it and they are right. They're a different generation. And so I couldn't see them, you know, selling out because somebody says, hey, here's five million dollars if you just do. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I appreciate you asking that question. Yeah, I've been like I said, we've been we've been hanging in. There. I think it's a family. We go back and forth. My daughter shows trauma in different ways and that was part of it just on Monday I mean you know it's just like trying to deal with her and then I had a couple of other conversations and then it's like you know there's still stuff with work that's going on and you know that you know white folks they just don't especially in a school like North Park they just don't get it it's like you know I had like last week I had like three requests like hey can you share a little bit at this next meeting and you can you do this I was like no 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 I'm not (laughs) absolutely not like this is the first of all, it's never really okay to ask that. Like even when people ask for us to share, it needs to be done with so many disclaimers. Like right. they need to do it so lightly and like, 
can't completely understand if you don't want to. This is emotional labor. Blah blah. Right. Like you need to give the the. There's a liturgy, okay, that you need to do before you exactly. just jump up asking in general. But especially right now, like get out of here. Are y'all crazy? Oh right. my goodness. Ooh, right. Child. Right. Exactly. Um, Welcome back to the show officially. Thank you. Yes. I, I always enjoy being here and I, I'm always happy when you invite me. So cool. Excellent. Well, what, what's what been going on? I mean, just you want to just talk about just what you've been what's what you've been up to. I mean, since we had the last podcast, we talked about, you know, birth to now. But now that we've covered those uh, those areas, I mean, what what are some of the areas? What are some of the things that you doing? What you're up to now? You're graduated now. You're done. Done with Fuller, right? Um, I have not graduated. Um, there are some interest, interesting things going on in, uh, my student relationship with Fuller. Um, okay. and I will, I'll be more public about it, um, in the near future. It's all good. But, uh, yeah, they, they still a mess, man. They just, you know, they just... Just no act right. None. <laughs> just, I have to laugh because it's just, ooh, it's just so obnoxiously infuriating that, man, wow. But anyway, however, yes, I am much further along in my program. Um, only have a few, barely a handful of classes left, et cetera. Um, but I actually have my eyes set on um, shifting into ethnic studies um, or if I focus more so um, within sociology, the only place I want to study sociology is at Howard because I refuse to do sociology at a white institution. All right, come on. So, um, yeah, so that's what I'm looking at in terms of doctoral work, Good. Um, which I'm very excited about. <laughs> um but of course, going to give myself uh, a breather, a break before I jump directly into that. Um, but yeah, I mean, when it comes to what I've been up to, um, I've <laughs> a lot of what I've been up to has been fighting with Fuller to be treated like a decent human being as a student. Um, and that goes beyond the collective organizing work that I've been involved in when it comes to uh, issues and concerns and discrimination uh, towards black students, faculty and staff. Aside from that, just like on a personal level of things specifically happening to me, um, the last you know year and change has for the most part involved um, that. <laughs> um, and aside from that, um, Worked on a, a few different projects. Uh, are you familiar with, I mean, I'm sure you do know, especially if you know Flow Layup. I've heard of it, uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I was a uh, director, one of the directors on uh, the, one of the directors on the team for Layup last summer, um, which is the Los Angeles Urban Program, for those who don't know, because I wasn't familiar with it um, not too long ago either. Um, and so that was a really, really amazing experience, like being able to invest in the development of 
yes, I'm young, but younger people <laughs> um, who are still coming into adulthood, you know, figuring things out um, when it comes to faith and when it comes to justice and when it comes to race. Mm. And I just, it took a lot of energy, but it was so well worth it. Like I, I had a ball, you know, just um, really, uh, it, it really felt very pastoral. It, it, it was very much so like I was discipling um, these groups of students who were looking to do, you know, summer of missions, woo, all that. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's cute. But this this is what we gonna unpack right here. And this is where you need to focus and where I need to challenge your thinking and et cetera. So, I mean, just seeing the growth over just a few weeks, um, I think it was, was it six or eight weeks or something like that? Um, for some people who were completely unaware um, and most of these um, students that I worked with were of, mm, it was, a, uh, the majority were of Asian, Asian American descent, but then there were also some African international students um, as well as uh, South Asian um, and also African American. Hmm. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a really, really great experience. I'm still connected to a good number of them on social media and uh, excited to see what they're doing. Um, let me see what else I've been up to. Hmm. I don't remember. <laughs> it's just so much life. You know what I yes, mean? Yes. Yes. Oh, just so much stuff. Um, well, another great thing that happened last year is I, I had the opportunity to go to the Proctor conference. Oh yeah. Uh, I love Proctor. February. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Man, just so good and black. And, yes. And, and brilliant and yes. bold. And just about it, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Just like about the work, um, just about you know all the things when it comes to um, taking care of ourselves, when it comes to making space for um, us as individuals, but also as a community to grieve and process not only what we've been through, but what we're currently going through, you know, and also analyzing and. Um, strategizing when it comes to policy, when it comes to organizing. I mean, they just cover so many bases. And of course, you know, it's not a utopia. It's not perfect, but it's just, man, that was, yeah. it was just amazing to even discover that a space like that exists. Right. Because I, I didn't know. Yeah. No, um, I was, I was hit to that. Um, oh my, I don't know, probably about a decade ago. And I was, I went a few times, unfortunately, just, you know, funding and trying to get to this conference, trying to get to that conference, but no, I was, it is no. And that's just it. I mean, I, I felt the exact same way with the first time I was there. I was like, Oh my gosh, this, how long has this been going on? Like what, what, right. what is this space? I'm like, who's been hiding this from me? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah, no, I, I went a couple times back, particularly before, um, oh, oh, what's his name? Um, oh, shoot, and I had him out to speak to class and everything. Uh, Jeremiah Wright, he was he was, ah. he was keynoting, and uh, oh, man, yeah. I was like, damn, this is, this and just like you said, just black folk in there, and you know, everybody's about to work, and it's like there's pragmatic yes. stuff that happens through the years. Yep. Oh, mercy. So, um, well, let me ask you this. I mean, so we've, there's been, it's been a tumultuous, um, just year, uh, in general, I mean, yeah. black folk in general have always, 
I don't, you know, it's like make America great. It's like, well, when, when was it great? I mean, I can think of moments in black history, right. That we've, we've had a stride going only to be cut back by white supremacy. Um, this year feels like it's just been just one slap after another. It's like COVID-19, the, Mm -hmm. the, the insurmountable deaths that, you know, that, that have taken place have been, you know, majority, you know, in black communities, black and brown communities. So, how have you navigated some of that? Um, and then, of course, we'll get to some of the politics of, of, of all of this. Um, right. And uh, especially some of the counter arguments, if you will. I want to get to that here in a minute. Uh, but uh, let me let's start with with that. OK, OK. Um, one of the things that I'm grateful for is that I have had at least a few outlets Um when it comes to being able to actually do something to contribute to um, the COVID-19 crisis, as well as being able to get plugged in and get involved and engage with, um, I would say, this round of the Black Lives Matter movement that's been going on for, you know, um, over over a decade. No, almost a decade by now, because um, I think it's started in 2012. I could be wrong. Anywho, um, so when it comes to COVID-19, that, man, is, it's the, the level of, of grief mm. um, that that brought on for me and for the people that I'm closest to is just, it's hard to even find words. Um, I mean, how do you process a literal global plague? You know, um, how, how do you even compute that? You know, how do you process the actual worlds that you move and function in? All of its systems fall apart. All of them. Travel, healthcare, education, um, like everything just falling apart because of this. And, um, being in danger, being in danger myself, being um, initially when they were saying that certain people groups were more at risk, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I don't have super young parents. You know, my, my parents didn't have me at 20 and 22. Like, mm. you know, my, my dad is 68. My mom is mm, 63 going on 64, you know, and it's not as if, oh, that's so old. You know, that's not the point, but the point is in terms of the data that they put out in terms of who was at risk. They said, yeah, if you're above 60, then, you know, so there was that concern. And, but then it expanded because apparently they're saying that the virus mutated or something, or maybe they were just wrong to begin with. Mm -hmm. Everybody was at risk. And I um, honestly don't really like talking about it um, in detail, but um, I lost my uncle um, to the virus. Um, and he was in, thank you. Um, he was in DC. And so, you know, not being able to gather with family to even process like such a huge loss on top of the loss of, you know, what our norm was, the loss of, um, plans and timelines and things that you think you're going to do. And all of a sudden there's this new reality to navigate. Yeah. Um, one space that I had, and I'm grateful for to 
as, as kind of like an outlet, like being able to actually like contribute something is that um, there is a nonprofit that is in the works of, um, well, it, it has launched partially, um, but just in case they don't want to be on blast yet, you know, let me be discreet because <laughs> I didn't check. <laughs> but um, that's uh, based here in L.A. and it's focusing its services on L.A. County. And it is um, in response to the various levels of the impact of COVID-19, like the different levels, the different arenas that it's causing crisis in. So economically, as well as health, as well, you know, these different things. Um, and um, I had the, the great opportunity of doing the research and doing the analysis to actually strategize um, how not only how they should go about responding to these various needs and which people groups and by which means, but also to give them like the organizational structure, like, hey, this seems like the most efficient, the most strategic way for you to go about this based upon who's on your team and what your resources are, et cetera. And I just, I love that. Like that, that I had a field day with it. So mm. it, it just felt good to do something um, that, I mean, really laying the foundation for a nonprofit, like laying down the structure and the process, the decision-making process, um, and different things that they need, um, in order to, you know, function the best way possible. Yeah. Um, so, and hopefully we'll be working with them, um, more in the future, but, um, yeah, it's been, uh, quite a bit. <laughs> My gosh, that is wow! I yeah, I and I've had I would say the majority of the students who have lost somebody uh, that I've talked with, you know, have have been black. I mean, and yeah. um, yep. it it just it hits home. Um, uh, yeah. it, I'm just like wow. Yeah, I'm almost, I'm in and you know I miss my grandmother. I mean, she passed away in 2009. I mean, but I'm really glad that she's not around to. To, experience, to see any you know, even to get any of this, because you're right. I mean, there, there, you know, you, you you can't attend, you know, just like somebody's thing. Now, now, let me let me ask you what your your thoughts are on some of this. So, I'm not sure if you're familiar with a guy named uh, he's a professor, John McCorder. No, I'm not. He's uh, he's an interesting guy. He is uh, kind of in the same line with uh, Shelby Steele. Are you familiar with him? No. So Shelby Steele, this is, and Shelby Steele goes back to like the 80s and 90s. Uh, his argument, the, both of these 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 cats are black. They're African-American professors. Um, and uh, Shelby Steele's uh, argument uh, was that, uh, you know, blacks have too much privilege and that uh, there is, you know, the racism that is made up is, is conjured up in people's minds and not and not not real a real thing, right? Uh, John McCorder has taken that a step further, and you know has gone on different debates saying that you know there the the numbers of black people being killed is not necessarily um, there is a disproportion, but it's not necessarily any more than white kids of the same manner getting killed in the nation, and that um, oh, no. yeah <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and it's interesting because the alt-right is very clever in their media and their advertising, right? So they're not the ones saying some of these things now. Now they're mm -hmm. utilizing 
right? Because, you, you know, the argument, of course, is like, well, if a white person says this, then we're automatically considered racing. But here's here's one of yours saying this. Have you encountered anything like this? And if you have, what have been your like oh, your thought processes? And have you know how have you combated some of that? Or maybe you don't. I don't. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's just I I, I figured I'd bring it up because that John McCorder's uh, one of his videos popped up today on my YouTube feed and was and and that's what it was talking. He was talking about. He was just talking about how you know the deaths that we see are blown up by the media and that there really isn't a bigger a big problem and that there you know the the media just blows it up because it's a black white thing. I mean, mm. <laughs> I, I feel like I need to sing a Negro spiritual right now just to like ground <laughs> my soul. That's right. The depth of disgusting, yes. sadistic ridiculousness that is, you know, this entire uh, genre of argument is just, oh, whew, child. Okay, let me gather. <laughs> yes. Let me gather myself so I can speak in, in understandable words. Okay, so I have definitely encountered this. And typically, the approach I've been taking on social media since, I mean, several years ago, I would say somewhere between six to eight years ago, I really stopped engaging in any form of argument on social media, unless it was something lighthearted, like about a TV show or, you know, like something that's not consequential, um, that's inconsequential. Um, I, I stopped because social media shifted from being strictly social when it comes to uh, the lighthearted sense of socializing, um, yeah. just the virtual form to, you know, what we're... In. <laughs> To what we're in now, you know, where there's all these other layers where it's professional, it's business, it's political, it's like all these. And when I say political, I mean like politicians engaging these platforms to accomplish certain things, because the reality is every area of our lives is by default political because policies impact every aspect of life. So yes. that's a whole other conversation. But um, yes, it's been Ooh, it's been bad. I mean, my specific uh, Facebook uh, network and Instagram and, mm. you know, my followers on Twitter, et cetera, um, are very much so curated. And so yeah. I don't I just I don't put up with that foolishness. You know, the 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 only the only kind of white folk I deal with are the Jane Elliott's of the world. Like, seriously, <laughs> like you, yeah. you got to be with it you know what i'm saying yeah. like with it you know in words and in deed and checking your people all of it um and that goes for um non-black people of color as well like i have no tolerance for for the foolishness you know what i'm saying yeah and so it's not until i get into my facebook groups where there are people that i'm not friends with um so i'm a part of some groups um of Fuller students and Fuller alum, alumni. And then I'm a part of a, another group that is, um, hmm, that is for, I can't remember the exact name of it, but it's for Adventist uh, clergy. Basically. Okay. Okay. Um, and globally. So people everywhere in this conversation, but of course the people who dominate the conversation the most are white men. Um, <laughs> yeah. Of course. Um, even though globally our churches mostly mostly people of color but you know 
that's another conversation. <laughs> and yes. so, you know, and se- I hate to say this, but ooh, child. So the second to the white men dominating the conversation have been non-black presenting Latino male pastors. Hmm. They have been off the rails. Hmm. I, I mean, and so all this That's to say that typically I do not engage. I have not engaged for many years, but the way things are right now, I was just like, I am looking for next to come at. Like I'm, I'm just, this is absurd. And um, so I've had several exchanges um, where I was, I'm a direct communicator in general, but you know, yeah. just up a notch because you know, the times we're in and um Oh, man, the the profound when it comes to the um, non-black Latino pastors that I was engaging, um, the depth of anti-blackness and the depth of internalized racism, even against their themselves, like even against their. Um, what, do you, what should I say? Um, their pocket, I'll say, of the Latino community. Because, of course, you know, and I say Latino because that's how they identify. You know, yeah, they, yeah. Don't, they don't use that word Latinx. They're like, what is that? You know? Right, right, um, right, right. They're like, um, Latin equi, what? You know, right. Like, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, um where, you know, they're mostly coming from communities that are, um, that, that for the most part are either white presenting or more indigenous presenting versus um, being of, I would say, blatantly of African descent, you know, because there are people who are of African descent within the uh, Latin American community that don't necessarily have the phenotypes. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. anyway, that's a, I digress. All these factors, all these things. My head is all over the place. That's another um, uh, uh, ramification of all this nonsense is that my my mind is like on a thousand with all the different levels and uh, variables and factors that are playing into these conversations and these scenarios. And so anyway, the machismo was high, 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 high in these conversations. Um, they, there's, there's a lot of um, just really mimicking, mimicking white men. Like there were a couple of Latino pastors that I didn't even realize were Latino because at first I just assumed based on how they were talking that they were a white man. So I was just like, yeah, mm. this is your white privilege and this is your da da da. And I had to come back later on and I was just like, oh, actually, this is your machismo and this is your anti blackness because you ain't even white, boo. Like, you look <laughs> indigenous. Like, you right. are not white. Right. You, know you might have some white in you because, you know, ugh, Spaniards, but yes. colonization and such. But come on, you know. Um, and then the the white pastors. Oh, I can say that I have seen a few. They are by far the minority, but a few uh, 
white pastors um, that clearly get it and are putting in the work and are willing to put, you know, their folks in check. But for the most part, you know, there's just all these asinine questions being asked um, with this pseudo innocent air of like, well, I'm just asking a question. And it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold on. If someone's family member just died mm-hmm. due to malpractice at a hospital and you're in the middle of a lawsuit, not only a lawsuit, but you're in the middle of fundraising to even be able to bankroll this lawsuit. You're in the midst of all these other variables that go into being able to get justice for the wrongful death of your family member. And also you're grieving this loss um, on, on several levels. You cannot tell me that there would be one white pastor that would fix their lips to be like, now, are you sure it was malpractice? <laughs> right. Like, yes. <laughs> does, does malpractice exist? Oh. Like, is that is that really a thing? Right. Because, I right. mean, doctors are trained really, really well. And, and nurses are trained really, really well. So, like, I don't, like, can you explain it to me? Can you, like, tell me? What was your experience? Like, what exactly happened? Like, give me the play-by-play of how your family member died, of how they were murdered, of how you know, what proof you have that it is the hospital's fault. (laughs) Like, are you serious? Like, we are literally in the middle, not not even just in the middle, because it's been going on, but we're at a, one of the climax Um, climaxes of um, this ongoing genocide of black people in America being recorded, like being actually reported and amidst a pandemic that is disproportionately killing us as well. And as soon as the information surfaced that African-Americans or people of African descent in in the United States were being disproportionately affected by this virus and being killed by it, all of a sudden it was like, oh, okay, like, well, you know, we can open some things back up. You know, it's not that deep, you know, let the white folk go get their hair trimmed and, you know, go to the barber and whatever it is they want to do because, you know, it's not that big of a deal, you know, and I I can go on and on. Anyway, please interrupt me. No. Say things, ask questions. I just... There's so there's just so much to say. It's just so absurd on so many levels. And it's it's wild to me. The the depth to which people are unable to see and by people, I mean, white people specifically, especially and also um, non-black people of color who have internalized their rhetoric against black people Um how they cannot see the depth of their callousness. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like that's what gets me. It's like, you don't need to have a degree in African-American studies or ethnic studies, or you, you do not need to be academically informed on race issues to be able to sense within yourself. Wait a minute. Am I empathizing with this person at all? 
But the problem is you have to actually see us as people. So, I mean, so I guess I, you know, just talked myself into a corner because like, well, wait a minute. (laughs) You know, it just it just further proves how black life, how black people are viewed. We are viewed as tools to be used to produce things that the masses um, find that the non-black masses find interesting and inspiring and, you know, when sports and music and culture, like we define what's cool. Like we start trends, like it's black culture (laughs) influences the entire world, but that's, that's, it's profited off of. And then people go about their business. Like we're, we're still not really considered human. So it's, it's pretty amazing to see that first of all, for there to be protests and can we talk about this protests in all 50 states? Wow. Yeah. And in 18 different countries yeah. around the world. Yeah. 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 This is, this is unprecedented. This is unheard of, you know, places that are um, known for being racist and unsafe for black people, places that are known for their anti-blackness Um you know, not only in the States, but I'm talking about internationally are rallying and saying like, no, this is ridiculous. Like, are, are, are you kidding me right now? Like you guys need to get it together. Like we have some issues. We got some problems. We don't always like black people all the time, but you can't be killing them like that. Like what you doing? You know? Yeah. <sighs> I mean, and so this is, this is interesting because I think it was, there was a picture I saw the other day. I probably should have saved it, but it was, uh, you know, it was a picture of Jesus, you know, given the beatitudes and, um, you know, he said, blessed are the poor. And, you know, somebody's yeah. like, yeah, but actually Jesus, everybody's blessed. I mean, what? Yes, I saw that. <laughs> I saw that. It was so good. That response the whole like, well, you know, blessed are all people. Right. And the other one that I saw that was really good. I don't, so many people have said it. I don't know who, who originally wrote this, but where it said um, in response to 9-11, they have these t-shirts saying all buildings matter. <laughs> That's right. I was like, yo, I need that shirt. Oh. Like, I need it and I will wear it intentionally yes. on 9-11 just to piss people off. Like, yes, yes you're an idiot. You're right. racist. Right. That right. is the point. I'm glad you're mad. Stay mad. Oh <laughs> my God. I know all buildings matter. That, that would, yeah, I would wear that too. I need that. I need, Ooh. I need a couple of those to wear it to class, you know, under mm-hmm. a sport coat, you know, keep it professional. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, all right. So in this, in the midst of, navigating through these because these are right these are treacherous conversations because one um media is such an influential uh aspect of that right it's like i'll i'll get and what what always gets me is 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 when people say but don't you think or you know but what about and you know just the the butts the butts that come in and then and then just the passive aggressiveness that i'll get from like colleagues who'll send me have you have you heard of this you know have you had a chance to you know to take a look at this it's like Bruh, like, do you do you not think that I have enough common sense to to know some of the counterpoints that are being made on the other side? Like, I'm just wrapped up because the right there's this 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 ongoing thing. I mean, I just saw this uh, uh, matter of fact this morning uh, about how 
And and this was coming from again people you know blacks for Trump right and uh, which is a group that just confounds me ideologically but okay whatever that's a different conversation um, but they were saying like how can you how can we have a funeral for one man George Floyd uh, but we can't but people are dying in hospitals of this pandemic and we can't even have we can't even be there next to him but we can have all these people in a church right and so people were going off and saying oh that one the coronavirus is fake. You know, we've been had, and two, why is one man important over all the other people who have died? And I was just like, again, it feels like folks just get swooped up into, because of their disdain, right, mm-hmm. of black progress. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 1,000%. What, what I've been seeing at a more, at an even more insidious level as of late, um, is the level of desperation, the level of desperation of white people and um, non-black um, people of color who just so desperately want to prove that they're right. Yeah. That they so desperately want to prove that no, 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 no. Nothing's wrong. You guys are just crazy and overreacting. This is not a thing, you know? And so they engage these conversations as if they're actually curious to learn. And, you know, praise God for the my, the few, <laughs> the very few that actually do approach the conversation with curiosity. And obviously we're not talking about those people. Like if the shoe doesn't fit, don't put it on. Like if you're getting big mad about this, it's probably you. If you're not, then cool, you're, you know, you're fine. Um, just this hunger to satiate this turmoil they clearly have internally. Because if you were good and racist and anti-black and at peace with yourself, mm-hmm. you you wouldn't be doing all of this. Like, I'm not saying people wouldn't be um, violent and hostile and attacking. Absolutely. Of course, because that, that's just what's going to come out from those very poisonous um, seeds of racist and anti-Black beliefs. Of course, that's going to be the fruit of it. But what I'm talking about is the, the level of energy that is put into justifying. Like, that's, that's, that's another level of something. Like, that is... There is, there has to be some level of internal awareness yeah. that something is not right and you're desperately trying to bury that awareness. And I think the exercise that I referenced her earlier, Jane Elliott um, has done in so many different places um, where she asks a room of white people to stand up if they want to be treated yeah. the way that <laughs> Americans are treated in the right. US. And it's crickets. All these people are like, I don't see color. I don't know what you're talking about. There's no racism. Nah, 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 nah. Right. And then she asks, she presents this question and nobody moves because guess what? Deep down, you know, you are, you are in turmoil with yourself. And as a person of, uh, of as a person who's very spiritual, a person of faith, um, Christian, who does not prescribe to white Christianity, very clear, Jesus was black, black, is black, black, in heaven would have thrown, like, That's right. it's in the text, it's in yeah. the text. Yeah. 
you know, there's that. Um, you know, it, it, it should not be surprising to me because this is demonic. Um, Reverend Michael McBride. Um, oh, and yeah. Yes, yes, yes. He preached, or well, it, he might as well have preached. It wasn't a sermon. It was technically an academic presentation. But um, you can find it on YouTube. Google his name. Um, he he goes into this whole um, delineation of the depth of importance to overcome white supremacy from a spiritual faith um, faith perspective of this being demonic. It's a demon. Yes. And and yes. and it's not a a demon or demonic in the sense of, well, guys, remember that, you know, there this person in front of you is not the enemy. It's 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 the spirit behind them. Like I don't believe in that nonsense. Like the way that people try to separate, you know, the spiritual from the physical to absolve people of responsibility. That's not what I'm here for. People are still responsible for their choices and their decisions and what beliefs they cling to, period. So yes, that racist person in front of you is the enemy because they've chosen to be. Like, don't, you know, don't get it twisted. But um, it's so deep. I think that's really my point. It's so deep, it's so insidious on so many levels, on a spiritual level, on an emotional, on a psychological level. And the the angst at which and the lengths to which people will go to try to prove their point of you know racism isn't real and this isn't a big deal just speaks to their internal distress and that they actually do have a conscience that is speaking to them that they're trying to shut down yes yes what in i, I Speak to this then, if you if if you if you so desire. Um, what what is what around the concept then of? And I'm jumping tracks here just a little bit, but like defund the police. What what might that mean to somebody? I mean, because it's like you know, I'm like I'm getting emails from folks saying like, what does that mean, Doctor Hodge? I you know, I'm like I, I know we need reform, but it's like I what does defund the police mean? And so how have you looked at that? How have you engaged with, with something like that? I mean, and what, and what does that mean, you know, moving forward in this new decade, right? That we're supposed to have AI, we're supposed to go back to Mars, or got back, but go to Mars, right? It's like automation is taking over. Like, what does that mean in an era where we're trying to, you know, we see all this unprecedented technology, right? We have phones that we can just put our fingers on and they turn on, but yet we're still dealing with rotary style phone issues like racism, um, and policing. So I'm just curious, some of your thoughts on that and just some of the conversations you've had in, in and around what policing looks like, especially for black folk. Um, I'm going to keep naming, because I, I noticed that I'm doing this and I, and I want to name why I'm doing it. I'm going to keep naming different people because I want to acknowledge that I am not the expert on everything and that I... Um, I'm still trying to be an expert on the things I focus on. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And so there's just so many resources that I want people to, to plug into. Um, so I would say when it comes to trying to understand this posture of defund the police and actually abolishing um, the police force, 
the voice that I have found the most thorough and the most informative is that of Angela Davis. Um, because she just really breaks down the nitty gritty of um, the dysfunction of a policed state and the reality that the main reason why so many people of, of all ethnicities and all races um, panic, may panic, you know, because not everybody is, but may panic at the thought of like, well, if we don't have the police, what do we do? Because I mean, crime and this, then the third, et cetera, is because of the socialization um, that, that happens within having a police state. Like this is not all that there is. This is not, this way of existing has not always been. Um, people have had civilizations for millennia without police structures. They had other means of securing safety and um, navigating issues and conflicts, et cetera. And I think there's this very poor narrative um, that points to the, the strong, deep weaknesses um, in our educational system, specifically when it comes to history, is that um, thanks to white supremacy, there is this narrative that the way America, the way Western white society does things is the light that came to a dark world of barbarians and uncivilized people. And that these people preceding this wonderful white Western light of civilization, this light um, city on a hill, you know, manifest destiny nonsense um, is the one that has the best ideas is the one that has the best technology, the best thought leaders, et cetera. And so people don't, it's, are socialized to really shut down their imagination. Hmm. To, to shut down their imagination and to shut down their curiosity to explore other options. Because what's being fed is that what this society presents to you is the best that there is. Yeah. Period. It's the best that there is and it's the best that there ever was. So the way we do it and the way we've been doing it must be the way it has to be done because what else are you going to do? Nobody else has better ideas because we're the best. Um, and so I think um, the main thing I, I would really uh, challenge people to do is to intentionally reignite their imagination you know, and to do as, as much as you're willing to, because I know research isn't everybody's thing. Um, but if you, if you do want to um, think about this in an informed way, I mean, there's, there's kind of no way around it. Um, to research different ways that different societies have secured peace and have secured safety. Um, and also, um, to highlight a lot of the statistics around when police have not been present and what has happened to the crime rate. Mm. The crime rate actually goes down. It does not go up, you know? Um, and it's important that people understand when it comes to police specifically within the United States, that it is the, the great, great grandchild of slave catchers. Yeah. That, that's where this system comes from. You know, um, I think there's kind of this um, 
you know, a stork that drops off a baby at the door kind of mythological assumed narrative when it comes to the origin of um, all the institutions we have in the U.S. that focus on safety, whether that be the police, the FBI, or the CIA. There's just this idea that like, yeah, these are just these, um, you know, automatically moral systems and structures and policies and people that just fell out of the sky that are, you know, making sure that we're good and safe. And it's like, no, these are human beings who are flawed. And these are systems that were created by not only human beings that are just flawed in the general sense, mm-hmm. but human beings who are racist and who do not view all people as human beings. So yeah, there's going to be problems. And coming into an era with, you know, as you said, AI and all these different things, I think it's even more urgent that we shut this down now because it has been shown time and time again, um, particularly um, at least it's come to my attention mostly within the last two years that technology, because it's created by people, is not like amoral. It's not um, colorblind. You know, the way something is coded, you know, for example, um, there was a uh, like a self with self-driving cars. Yeah. Realized, you know, I'm sure you saw it where they were talking about how uh, the issue with a car even recognizing a black person <laughs> crossing the street. <laughs> right. And, and black people getting run over. Yes. yes. Because the software and the technology was structured by racist white people. Right. Right. So very important, very, very urgent to address. And I, exactly. And I think that that's important to talk about because, I mean, this was something that I it brought up to my class on, like I do a class on media and family and friends and, the, you know, kind of in the mediated era and stuff. And one of the things we talk about is just, you know, who, who, who puts together the coding uh, for, say, for example, for facial recognition software, right? Exactly. Um, how do we see that? And we've known, right? I mean, the New York Times, Washington Post, Chicago Tribune, all of them have run uh, countless op-ed pieces, regular journalistic pieces on how racist racial fe- recognition software is, yet police departments mm-hmm. want to use this quote unquote, yep. to catch criminals. Really? Yep. Catch criminals, yep. huh? Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, I don't want to be somebody who's like, oh, well, you know, he looked alike and they, you know, the nose matched this one and this and this and that and this and, and it. And the next thing you know, you know, it's like they're into, into some mess. My point being is, is that you're right. Mm-hmm. The people who are writing these things, people who put these things together, right? They don't even take into mm-hmm. account the notion of a black life, the black skin and how that yes. breaks down. I mean, and that even includes even how people understand, for example, digital cameras, digital cameras, uh, which, you know, are all the fate of, of fun now. Right. It's like, you know, even mm-hmm. that I mean, as a photographer, there was something about film that you could work when taking pictures of a black family uh, that you could work with, right? But now, again, the coding within the digital uh, uh, phenomena tends to either wash out that color, right? Or it actually, you know, it it oversaturates. And so, again, even within that, there are certain aspects of technology that, you know, that racism just goes well beyond just that. But I appreciate you bringing those those things up. 
Um, let me ask you this, and I know time is nigh, um, but uh, what what gives you hope right now? Where, where are you nuancing just your own theological practices and, and, and spirituality and and, and whatnot. I mean, um, I mean, the one thing I know I can say I'm thankful for is is a Sabbath and and uh, and and taking, trying to take some time to rest. Uh, yes, but anyways, what what are some thoughts on that? Hmm, that's a very good question. And I don't want to give a, a trite answer. I'm with you. Yeah. Um, where do I get my help? I think right now what's fueling my hope is a combination of what I'm observing in the present in light of the testimonies of our predecessors and our ancestors who, I mean, phenomenal doesn't even begin to describe um, the quality of work that they put into our liberation and our freedom. Um, just the foundation that has been built generation after generation towards this end, towards this goal. Um, that honestly fills me back up, you know, on days when it's just like, man, this is just nonstop, mm. you know, nonstop, you know, especially when, you know, within a month we are grieving. I lost count. How many black people have been murdered by not only just police, but also white civilians who believe it is their right, you know, to to kill black people at any point in time, have been murdered just within a month. It was like one week, Ahmad, and then the next second, uh, Brianna, and then before both of them, it was Sean Reed, and then after yes. Brianna, it was George, and then after George, it was just like this explosion, right? It was just this explosion of so many black people in so many different places being killed. I, I, I can't even keep track of the names anymore. Right. Um, ooh, and so in times like this where things just pile up, what really has been giving me the energy to even talk about these things and really fueled my determination to dig my heels in deeper into um contributing substantially to this work um, with just all the gifts and skill sets that I have and training I have is going back to the words of James Baldwin, of Toni Morrison, of, you know, of, um, of King, of Malcolm X, of these different voices that were just Mm. they were to the white to the white audience they were unhinged but to us they were just a clear note you know like a, just a clear note there's no hesitation there's no pause there was no swallowing of 
you know, some of the delivery. It was just, no, this is what it is. Um, and to really honestly meditate on the strength it must have taken and the resilience it must have taken and the level of communal support because none of these people stood alone. Mm. You know, most of them were friends with each other and, you know, had other networks of friends and et cetera because um, there's just no way um, to, to do this by yourself, period. Um, to really meditate on what it must have taken to keep going and to do the kind of work that they were doing um, and just making this internal commitment within myself to, to honor what they've done by doing everything I can do, yeah. you know, to not, to not, um, allow all of this turmoil and chaos and this genocide and just the insidious, um, racist system that we're in, um, overtake me to a point that I become immobile, that I become disengaged. Um, Cause that's, that's definitely a go-to of mine. Like I can shut down easy. Um, mm. If I, if I hit a certain point where I think that, no, I'm tapped out. I need to just go reboot and be by myself. Everybody leave me alone, you know? Um, and there's a healthy version of that, you know, but I'm just saying, I don't want any of this to take me out of the game yeah. because my ancestors and my predecessors have done far too much and have set the table too well um, for me to not build on that. And, and we have elders that are still alive, like Angela Davis, Angela Davis and many others, who are still putting in the work. And, you know, are well into their 70s and, you know, like they've been doing this thing for decades. Yeah. And they're not giving in. Um, I just and, and then the the other um, piece in terms of what I'm seeing presently, the level to which people are coming into consciousness, especially racial con consciousness is encouraging. Are people messing up, folks fumbling around, making mistakes? Sure. But so many more people are actually present in the arena of dealing with this at all. Um, that, that, that in and of itself is encouraging. And then ultimately, um, what gives confidence to my hope is that, you know, I just love that Jesus is black. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yes. Jesus is so black and not just Jesus is so black, but you know, the fact that God chose to not just live as any human being or any person, you know, you didn't come as, you know, some rich, you know, sheltered, catered to whatever, like, you know, came poor, you know, crazy family dynamics immigrant, refugee, black man that was wrongfully murdered by the state, specifically. You know, like, mm -hmm. that is who he is. You know, that just emboldens me further, like, you know, folks out here acting a fool, but uh, the God, <laughs> the God that is in heaven, the God that made the heavens and the earth and made all of us, and this is coming for you. So, get ready. <laughs> like, <laughs> get ready, you know? 
Yes. So that's that's where I'm coming from. No, I appreciate that. That's that's real. That's deep. And I asked that particularly because, you know, there is it is easy, I think. And I'm glad that, you know, self-care has been much more put on, you know, on the, on, yes. on the front than, you know, because yes. it's, it's easy just to get caught up. I was taught to just keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. And then, you know, your body gives out. You're right. It's yep. like you, you, you just you at one some point, And now that I, you know, I ain't a spring chicken anymore. It's like, man, shoot. Mm-hmm. It's like I, you know, I got to keep a bottle of Advil next to me. So it's like, well. If that's the case, like, how do you, you know, you listen to some of the folks who, like you said, the ancestors. I mean, think about Angela Davis. I mean, she's, what she's seen and what she's had to go through and what she's lived through. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I can't even imagine it. And so, man, when you said that, I was like, wow, that is, that's the truth. That's the truth, man. And, you know, and for better or for worse, Jesse Jackson as well. I mean, that brother is, you know, and, 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 you know, I mean, he was, he was there with King as a young, a young cat himself. So. Absolutely. There are several. There are several. Jesse Jackson is another, um, you know, um, man, there's just so many names and it's like a traffic jam in my head. But yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And this is something when you're talking about like the prevalence of um, not just the resources of self-care and mental health, um, that is expanding. It needs to expand more, but it's, you know, the best it's ever been. Um, but also the cultural shift and this even being a conversation. Yes. Because this is definitely a resource and a tool um, that our predecessors did not have. Yeah. Like yeah. we had none of this. Um, the closest that they had was the... Um, just the very communal way that black people take care of each other in general. Like they had that, Yeah, you know, they had that, they had that network. And then those of particular faiths, you know, like X had um, the uh, Muslim community. um, And then, um, you know, uh, several others were in the black church, you know, so they were in these different black spaces of faith to really bolster them and hold them up, but they didn't have they had none of this, you know. But we do, so yeah, um, that's something else to to uh, be grateful for and to optimize. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Well, I again, I thank you for taking the time out and in what you're doing. Where can folks find you? What what's what's next for you? Um, what's you know what's next on your 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 agenda? And you know where where you where you where are you beating the path next? Okay, um, well you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I use Twitter the most, um, but I'm starting yeah. to use Instagram more. Um, but the handle for both of those is bravely with. So brave l y with. Um, and, uh, you'll see my name there, Esperanza Jean. What's next? I have a couple of projects in the works, um, that I can't announce just yet, but I encourage you to follow me on those platforms so that very soon, probably in the next week or so, um, when I do announce these things, you'll be able to be like plugged right into what I'm doing, but I'm very, very excited, um, about the work that I'm being um, 
just uh, supported to do. And um, specifically when it comes to um, not only um, helping with health disparages um, within the system when it comes to the impact of COVID-19, um, but also when it comes to continuing the bridging work between um, each of the different groups of color within the U.S. That, that is the bridging work that has been on my heart and that I want to focus on. I think there are plenty of people who are focusing on bridging white people and black people and God bless them and may they be fruitful in their efforts. But as for me and my soul, like I, I'm focused on the melanated peoples and we need to, you know, hash out our uh, issues due to internalized uh, racism and white supremacist um, narratives. So, yes. Yeah. Ooh, well, amen. Amen. Keep up the good work, sis. You, you, you doing some great stuff. I'm glad you out there in SoCal. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me back. It's always, it's just always a good time, man. I appreciate you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, shoot, we're going to hook it up. And I'm looking forward to these and and these announcements. Hopefully one of them is a book that you put together, you know, (laughs) activism. (laughs) Oh, nine. Folks keep asking me, like, when's the book coming? Yep. Happy publisher book. I'm like, well, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, we get there. Yes, yeah. Well, and, and anything we can do on this platform, you just let me know and you know, we'll 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 blast it out and do all those good things. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Cool.